Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today I have joining me a special guest, Andy Paul, author of Sell Without Selling Out, A Guide to Success on Your Own Terms. Andy, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Well, Chris, thank you for having me. I, as I was telling you earlier, I love having authors on the show because I think we just end up having great conversations going to a lot of different places. Um, first question I have for you is, what was the genesis of the idea for this book? The genesis of the idea for the book was that we're not getting any better at selling, <laughs> basically, is that I believe that despite all the advantages, the technology that's at our disposal today for marketing and sales purposes, that uh, the data suggests that we're actually performing less well, meaning we're doing a, a less good job of helping our buyers make decisions at a time when in many respects, it should be easier to do that. And that was sort of, for me, was point, I'd started this book prior to the pandemic, but then, yeah, things get delayed because of the pandemic, but it gave me a chance to sort of rethink some of what I was thinking about writing. And, and, you know, I thought during the pandemic, we really had an opportunity, given how completely disrupted business was and how we sort of reset how we conducted sales in a large measure, that we missed an opportunity to really reinvent selling in terms of how we engage with buyers to help them make decisions. And instead, we're doing more of the, more of the same. Um, and I thought, okay, what's the reasons for this? What can we do to do something differently? And uh, yeah, the result was this book. That's awesome. Um, what are sellers getting wrong today? What are they doing that's wrong? Well, this is the crux of the problem, I think, is that what we do is we train sellers, and this is this is not a new problem. This has been around forever. Is we we train salespeople that their job is to go out and persuade somebody to buy their product, meaning be self-interested. <laughs> it's all about you. This is a, you've got this target. You're like a you know guided missile. Go make that happen. And what it does is it leads to the type of behaviors I call selling out or salesy behaviors that we're all familiar with that make buyers cringe and that make many sellers cringe when they think about having to do it. And so the opposite of that is what I call selling in. And it's based on four pillars of what I call connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity, which are innate human behaviors that they're not learned behaviors like the, the salesy behaviors, are innate human behaviors because we're, we're wired to connect with other people. We're wired to be curious to, that's how we navigate unfamiliar surroundings around ourselves. We're wired to want to understand other people. That's uh, in part you know, how we develop empathy for people. We're wired to give and be generous. But if you deploy those in the right way, what you can do is you can help your buyer understand, and you really, our job as a seller is to go out and listen to our buyer, to help our buyer understand what's most important to them, right? What are the most important things for them in terms of the challenges they face and the outcomes they can achieve, and then help them get that, right? And it's not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna persuade you to buy my product. It's like, we're gonna identify together. We're gonna, I'm gonna listen to you. We're gonna identify together 
what's most important to you? And then we're going to work together to help you get that. And that's just a completely different approach. And I strongly believe, and I write about this in the book, is that as we move into an increasingly digital age, and there have been others written about this, like Jeffrey Colvin and his best-selling book, Humans Are Underrated, it says that in an increasingly digital age, those people who thrive in their careers are those who learn to become more intensely human, meaning those who learn to you know, amplify their uniquely human skills that machines can't replicate. And that is connecting with a human being. That is deploying your curiosity. That is being able to synthesize information and into a level of understanding and understanding, reading the both the emotional and the rational cues as to what is most important to the buyer and then formulating a plan to help them get it. And the book says, yeah, that's the path we want to go. And we could, as a profession, and we're all consumers, we've all been on the receiving end of what I call salesy behavior. That's, you know, sort of makes us recoil a little bit. We could stop that today. Wouldn't that be great? We could just stop it today and no seller would be any worse off. We'd all are. be better off. We'd all be better off. So let's just stop. And yeah. here's a very simple, rational way to proceed that's aligned with who we are as human beings already yeah. that enables us to better help our buyers. And the process, shorten the decision cycles, yeah. right? Because so much of what happens that extends decision cycles for buyers is all the crap sellers do. Yeah. But if we're really focused and aligned with the buyer, said, okay, now I know what the target is. I know I really understand what's most important to you. Well, now I, I can put together a plan to help you get that. Yep. I had a call yesterday on my way to the airport. So I had some downtime, my phone mm -hmm. rings and I'm like, I have no idea who this is calling. So I did what I normally don't do. I answered it. Right. And a uh, gentleman on the phone, like, Hey, Chris, how you doing? And immediately didn't wait for an answer, just immediately went into pitch. his pitch. And I'm sitting there thinking as this guy's talking, I'm like, you know, take the breath, like, ah, <laughs> oh, geez, okay, here we go. Right. And I'm listening to his pitch and I'm thinking to myself, okay, number one, this person has no idea who I am, mm -hmm. no idea what business I'm in, what mm -hmm. I need, what my struggles are, what pain I may be dealing with that I need help solving. Right. None of that, just right into the pitch. Why are people, why are people still trying to sell that way? <laughs> because that's how they're trained. Right. I mean, so it's, it's the reputation that salespeople have as you know, sort of being lazy, shiftless, self-centered, whatever. On one hand, it's hugely unfair to the vast majority of people who are in sales. But on the other hand, it's not completely undeserved either. And we continue, we, as a profession, continue to perpetuate this through the way we train people and the way we socialize people in terms of what their job is. As I said before, if you think your job is to be the guided missile to go out and persuade the buyer to buy your product, you're going to indulge in that type of behavior. If you're a sales manager, because I get comments from, you know, on shows like this, I've uh, been on even this last week since I've released the book saying, well, yeah, would you write? Sounds really good, but you know, we've got numbers to hit. We've got, I'm like, yeah, so <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm talking about, this is what I've used. I've closed the better part of three quarters of a billion dollars myself and really large orders and so on, selling this way and helping the buyers make decisions faster, right? 
And there's a way to do that. This is not antithetical to hitting your numbers. In fact, this is a way to do it more reliably and more predictably than the way that most selling is done today. I really picture it as like you're standing on a sidewalk. This person who called me standing on a sidewalk, just grabbing people that are walking by randomly saying, right. hey, you want to buy my product? It's the same, right? You, What's exactly the it? same. You're not going to have any luck doing that. I mean, you're just, I mean, if you have a million people walk by you, yeah, you'll probably get some people to, to buy whatever it is you're selling, but. Well, you will. And that's, that's unfortunately the way a lot of sales is done today is, you know, especially in the software world in certain markets is, you know, they're very proficient at top of funnel activities, demand gen, lead gen, inbound leads, as well as outbound calling, getting, getting meetings set. And they're not really focused much on being really good at selling because we know we're going to capture a bit of that flow that comes by. And for many companies, that's enough to grow yeah. and scale. But, you know, we're in the midst of sort of, or we at least we were until perhaps inflation and, and the pandemic and Russia invading uh, Ukraine is we're in the midst of sort of, you know, uninterrupted period of 14 years of economic growth that, that, um, I think people took the wrong lessons from that and the way they built up their selling because the good times never continue forever. No. Someone who's sold through multiple recessions and periods with, you know, I started my career when interest rates were nearly at 20%. I was selling capital equipment. Yeah. So, you know, we had to, we had to not only help people understand this was a great investment to make, but that they could pay it back with these huge loans. Yeah. It, it, that, you know, what was running through my mind is I was listening to that person, the gentleman who called me, I'm like, whoever gave you your training did not set you up for success. You know, no. they didn't give them any of the tools they needed to be successful. So when, when, well, I'll give you a good story about, about that. that though. Who, where's the blame on that? Who's getting it wrong? <laughs> it starts at the top. You know, the culture set from the top and the culture about, hey, let's just focus on the metrics. Let's just focus on the process. Go make your calls. You know, we'll lightly enable you. Uh, that's where it starts. That That is acceptable. And it's sort of not really the fault of like frontline managers and, and so on, because they're not given the tools to do anything differently either. They're not taught how to do things differently. So everything sort of starts at the top and flows downhill in terms of the culture they create. And yeah, you'll get situations like you just experienced with that, that sales person. I was, I, excuse me, my favorite story to tell in this regard is, you know, I've got a podcast. We've almost a thousand, episodes we've been doing. And about a year ago, I got a LinkedIn message, direct message from somebody saying, look, I was just looking at your LinkedIn profile. I think you'd be a good candidate to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> and I was just like, I said, okay, I got to respond to this one. Right. And so I write back, I said, I don't get it. You said you looked at my profile. You clearly didn't. It would have taken you 15 seconds to do so. I mean, just as a, yeah, I have no stake in your success, but other than the fact that I want to help you get better is take, 30 seconds, you could have fine tweaked the message just a little bit or decided not to waste your time sending me a message. And he said, yeah, I don't have time for that. So here he was clearly being pressured to make a certain number oh, yeah. of outreaches, certain number of contacts. Yep. I don't have time for that. Yep. 
I just have to hit my number. I made my 150 calls for the day or my 200 right. outreaches, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's like, well, yeah, but don't you care whether that leads to anything? Yeah. I mean, it's it seems like that part of the equation oftentimes is missing is like connecting you know, what you're doing to an outcome. And I, I think this is, you know, it's a management problem. It's a compensation issue. It's like, I would advocate that for, you know, SDRs doing outreach, let's say, is they get paid only on the deals that end up being successful. Yeah. So let's set them up to be successful. Successful, yes, because it's a hard job, right? It's a really hard job. Yeah. And I mean, it's equivalent. I started my career out making cold calls in the field, right? I'd make 30, 40 calls in person a day. Yeah, that just beats you up, right? I mean, my whole goal was, is we had to do that for a certain period of time until we got to the next level. And then uh, we we're selling a more expensive products. So we still made cold calls, so not quite as many for day. But for the first six months, I was like, what can I do to make this go by faster, right? Yeah. <laughs> and to yeah. make the pain stop. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so why don't we do them a favor, do ourselves a favor by helping people learn how to connect with another human being on a level, how to prepare for those types of calls, how to ask questions that, that elicit the type of information that you need or open the door to a further conversation in a way that's just not so salesy. Right. Now, do you think that person that said, well, I don't have time for that, part of it is, you know, he could be pressured that he's just got to hit a number. But I think part of it also for a lot of people is they think, well, that's going to be really hard or complicated for me to, to come up with that human approach. Is that accurate? Well, aren't we all human? I mean, it seems like it's, for me, it's like much easier to be human than to be the sales robot, right? Because right. I don't, so why are, I don't why, have to put why, on an act to be a human. I have to put on an act to be the robot. Right. So why are people scared to be human? Because their managers are scared, right? Because we've reached this point in certain segments. And again, not that we're focused solely on tech, but we use tech as an example where, you know, surveys are showing now that, that the average tenure for a CRO in a venture funded startups, like 12 months. Yeah. Right. So if you're coming into that situation, you have a leadership, you think, gosh, I've got the opportunity to make some changes to really make this better than it is. And they said, Oh yeah, but I got 12 months. I mean, I can't even afford a down quarter because they're going to transform what you're doing. You're going to have a down quarter, right? Or it's not going to be, perhaps you want up to expectations, but that's an investment you make. No one feels like they can make that investment. And so what people have said to me is, well, this is fabulous. My problem is it's akin to trying to fix an airplane while it's in flight. Right. Because I don't have the leeway to do that. Yeah. And so we sort of perpetuate this because then the next person comes in and they look at it and says, Oh yeah, I don't have a full a full accounting cycle of 12 months to make a change. So I'm just gonna do more of what we're doing, but we're just trying to do this crap better than we're doing it now. And the fact is it's it's still not good. And just doing more of it and trying to tweak it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, I don't know the exact quote, but I, I just saw this the other day where I think it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln, where if you have six hours to cut down a tree, he's gonna spend four of those six hours sharpening. Sharpening the saw, right. Yeah. yeah. And nobody wants to sharpen their axe anymore. I don't know if no one, I think the response to this book that I launched this week has been overwhelming, right? And, and we sort of rocketed to the top of the charts and, and because I think there is this amazing appetite among sellers to say, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of, of having to act 
in a way that's not congruent with the way I think I should act, the way my buyers want me to act, that doesn't align with what I think my strengths are, just because my manager is fearful of me coloring outside the lines because you know, maybe I'm not gonna make 50 calls, maybe I'm only gonna make 25 calls. And even though that 25 calls may yield the same number of meetings, yeah, you know, my boss doesn't like that, right? It's gotta be 50 because that's the number. And reach this point where it's really sellers have to begin to push back and say, look, no one cares about me or my career as much as I do. And I'm, I know, excuse me, I know I have a number. I know I have to be accountable for results. But if I think there's a better way to do it, then give me the freedom and the, the agency to go do that and make those choices and experiment so I can find a way to become the best version of me. Is that what you mean by to sell in? Yeah, well, that's sort of the end result, right? Is, is that as managers, and this book is written primarily for individual contributors, but as leaders read it, they see that, oh yeah, this is for us as well, is that they have a choice to make. You can, you can be the metrics jockey, you know, that tries to manage people just through the numbers. And yeah, I was at a conference about, I don't know, two and a half, three years ago, and this story has always stuck with me, is listening to a panel of, of CROs and VPs of sales talking, and one guy said, yeah, you know, we just don't do one-on-ones anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, they just don't work. And I'm like, problem is not the one-on-one. The problem is you, buddy. Um, is they just want to be directive. And I said, everybody's operating from this position of fear. If you don't do it exactly this way and it doesn't work, who gets blamed? Oh, if it's me, I'm going to make sure that you comply with this process. And sellers don't want that, right? I mean, this is a fun profession. I mean, especially your account exec, you, you earn your stripes as an SDR, you become an account exec. Selling is fun. It's creative, right? It's, it's, that's part of the reason I've stayed in it so long is you know, every situation you get into is different. You learn new things. You meet new people and interesting people. But if you say, look, this is our ICP, and we've got you sell to these personas, you ask them these questions, they're going to give you these answers, we're going to spell it out. Well, A, it's not very productive to do it that way. And secondly, is, is no one likes doing it that way. And your buyers don't like it because, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm writing about my book is, how are you creating positive buying experiences for your buyers? Because at the end of the day, in most markets these days, the, the level of differentiation between the products or service on offer is razor thin. And if it exists at all, it's hard to sustain, right? So what becomes the point of differentiation in the mind of the buyer? Well, this has been researched. It's, it is their experience with you as sellers. So if that's the case, don't you want to become the best version of yourself that you can? It doesn't mean you become a clone of everybody else. It means you take you know, the advice you get from managers and you learn from your customers how to sell to them. You listen to podcasts like this, you read books, you experiment with different things that you, you know, ways to say things and phrase things in your selling and build your own unique selling process within the framework that exists for the company to become the best version of yourself. And then you'll be more fulfilled in your job. You'll be more productive. You'll probably stick around longer all desirable. And you'll win, you'll increase your win rates, which to me is, is really the bottom line in all of this is in so many industries to say is the win rates have, <laughs> have fallen so far, 
because the processes like, you know, SAS, it's 20 to 25%. So average win rates in many of the companies that friend who was talking to a big sort of industrial concern in Europe as a client, they were 17% across the company. It's like, holy cow, what's going on? I mean, you can't claim that you have product market fit if your win rates are that low. That's a shocking number that, you know, 17% that this is you know, a, this you're is supposed a big, to target your ideal company. customer. Yeah, you're targeting your ideal customer. You're supposed to have the solution that's going to help them transform their business, whatever. And you're only winning 17% of the time. So what to say about how you sell? Right. Well, what, what it starts from the beginning is what it's saying is your buyers are voting. And what they're saying is you're not doing a very good job. Yeah. Right. It's like, say, it's, it's a personal referendum on you and, and yeah, it's, it's not good. And not personal as in you're a bad person, but person as personal as, yeah, they judged you as wanting in your ability to help them identify what's most important to them and help them get it. And challengers done research on this and other people as well, as well as saying when a, in the B2B space, when a buyer makes a decision that, yeah, well, I think challenge was 53% of the decision criteria is based on their experience with the individual seller. So as a leader, you think, well, I want to try to optimize that experience. Not make it uniform, because if I try to make it uniform from our perspective, the fact is, you know, we're dealing with unique individuals with their own way of looking at the world. Yes, they may fit into a persona by title or position, but everybody's got their own way of looking at the world, their own way of processing information, their own way of communicating. And I think one of the things that hampers sellers today is, you know, they're trained to think that everything is so uniform and it's not, you know, you're a unique person talking to a unique person. If you're not alive to what the differences are between best person and the last person you talk to, then you're going to miss an opportunity. And that all contributes to these low win rates. Yeah. I love it when people will ask me when I'm, you know, talking to them about CRM, and they're like, well, what's a typical implementation look like? And I'm like, hey, if I ever find it, I'll let you know. Yeah, right. um, I've yet to see a typical, you know, every company I go into is totally different. It's different right. people, different situations, whatever. All the different factors that can impact that uniqueness, mm-hmm. they're there. And- well, and we, right. And we do people such a disservice to say that the sellers are disservice. Say, yeah, this is, you know, we're going to take a quote unquote, like a, you know, fast food franchise approach to how we sell because, you know, we're not cooking hamburgers. You're, these are individuals and they're part of a, oftentimes part of a buying committee that's comprised of people that all these different backgrounds, you know, so every committee is different. The people are different. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're, I think uh, your acumen as a seller is not based on your ability to recognize how situations are the same. It's based on your ability to recognize how situations are different and bring yourself accordingly to that situation. And so, but you can't do that if you don't sort of go through, I don't call them the basics, but these, these pillars I talk about is if you don't connect with the buyer, right? If you don't build that level of credibility and trust, which leads them to open the door to say, yeah, I'm going to give you permission to really stick your nose into my business. Right. Because, you know, it's, you can ask a customer a question. They're under no obligation to answer it. And they're under no obligation to answer it completely. And there's a real difference between them 
how they answer the same question from somebody that they've built some level of trust with and those they haven't. Right. So building that trust becomes bleeds into your ability to be curious and ask great questions of the buyer. But it's that itself is not enough because you know, oftentimes sellers, they've got their list of questions they ask, whether it's you know, scripted or just, you know, a set of questions they've learned to ask over time. But so many, the way we look at our sales process, we've got these, you know, linear stages, one of which is discovery. And it's like, who thinks, who has ever sold thinks that discovery happens one time in a sales interaction, right? It, it continues, right? Yep. You continue to ask questions, but when you put it into that little box, what you're saying is, okay, I know the information I need to know right now, which you may know some information, but what you don't do is you don't understand why that information is important to them, who it's important to and how it relates to their challenges and the outcomes they want to achieve. Right. So you, you've got this gap between knowing something and understanding it. So you need to be able to cross that gap. And when you get that level of understanding, then you can start saying, okay, how can I help the buyer with something of value that helps them move closer to making a decision. And this is, this is really the crux of it is, is when we interact with a buyer is, you know, we throw the word value out <laughs> loosely, like a lot of other cliches, but what I talk about in the book is you have to think about value is, is equal to progress. In the eyes of the buyer, that's what value is. Meaning as a result of an interaction with you, Chris, I'm now closer to making a decision after that interaction than I was before. Yep. And that's the acid test yep. for any time you ask a buyer to, to invest time in you, whether it's reading your email or it's taking a phone call from you or doing a zoom call like we're doing or meeting in person, that's the calculation they're making. I'm investing my time and attention in you. And if as a result of investing that time and attention, I haven't made progress toward making a decision, completing this task I have, wasn't a good use of my time. Right. I didn't get a return on that investment. Yep. And so selling really is this intentional act, right? We have to be intentional that every time we interact with the buyer, that this is on our mind. What value am I gonna be providing to the buyer to help them move closer to making a decision? And if you don't know the answer to that question, as I say to the horror of sales managers and others, just don't do it. Go back, ask more questions, right? That can be a productive use of the buyer's time to ask questions because questions help them think more deeply about the problems they're trying to solve and the things they can achieve. You've got more questions to ask. Yep. And it's ultimately, for me, it's really uh, understanding what is that outcome? Mm -hmm. You know, the person I'm talking to, what is it? Because that's really what they care about. I, I want an outcome as a customer. Right. It might be a problem I need solved. It might be, you know, I'm, I'm trying to support growth, whatever it is, whatever that outcome it is. If I don't, as a salesperson, understand what that outcome is that they want, mm -hmm. I, I'm missing the target the whole time I'm talking to them, asking these well, questions. Right, because there is no target yet, right? Right, right. And and on top of that, and I talk about this in the book as well, is, is that, again, there's been some research done. This is that that there's actually two levels to that decision for this, this individual. It's what's in it for me as a human individual, what's in it for the company. Right. And as a seller, you need to understand what both sets of, of uh, what's in it for me questions or answers are because, you know, you may think, Oh, I can rely on this person as a champion, 
but if you really understand what's in it for them and they think, well, this could be pretty good for the company, but shit, this may cost me my job. Yeah, there's some self-sacrificing people that would say that's great, but this person may end up advocating against making that choice. And you really need to know that. So if you haven't, for all of your stakeholders involved that, that buying decision, you need to uncover, yeah, not only what they think about the investment for the company, what they think about for themselves. Yeah, nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM. That old adage that it's that you need to understand that, you know, for them to like, they're putting their neck out to say, yeah, we're going to buy from you mm -hmm. because I'm, like, if I'm the one making that decision, I'm putting my neck out for you. Oftentimes and, it can be that way. Yeah. 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 And, uh, um, for any major purchase, whatever it's, you know, I'm, I'm putting my reputation at risk. I'm not going to do that for a stranger. Right. Well, now, so they talk to salespeople. Yeah. So some research firms came out, you know, like 2020, more of multiple research firms saying, oh, we've studied the buyer. And what they said is, we don't want to talk to salespeople anymore. And yeah, everybody has, has hissy fit about that. I'm like, well, okay. I've been doing this for a really long time. Been pretty successful at it. No one ever woke up in the morning and said, geez, I wish Andy would call me. <laughs> right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. happened. I think in the history of commerce, you know, dating back five or 6,000 years, I suspect that no customers ever said, geez, I wish a call salesperson would call me today. Um, but they do have time for you. If you can do the one thing I talked about, you can help them make progress in making a decision. Exactly. You can't do that. They have no time for you. That's right. And they'll try to continue to determine ways to self-service that, that acquisition if they can. But one of the reasons they do want to talk to people, though, in addition to helping them make progress, is to help mitigate risk, validate that they're making the right decision. Yep. And, yeah, you know, I've had this conversation with somebody said, well, eventually it's all going to be you know, automated and you know, AI-driven, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, just imagine a conversation. So you've made some big decision for the company. You let your, <laughs> you let your decision engine do it instead of you doing it. And it goes wrong. And your boss comes and said, so what did the sales guy say about this? Well, we didn't talk to a sales guy. What do you mean you didn't talk to a salesperson? Yeah, we didn't, you know, we did this through, yeah, our machine learning, artificial intelligence, our engine, decision engine, whatever that is. We did it. Uh, completely on our own. Oh, okay. <laughs> How's that going to go for you? Right. Not well. No. Not well. I mean, so there's a lot I'm of going to fire the AI engine. <laughs> yeah. Well, but also you think about it from this, uh, you know, the a human perspective is, is if you're evaluating, think what the experience will be at one point, if you're just doing everything sort of that way, then, you know, quote unquote, the machines have taken over. Yeah. You're going to have this uniform, dully, unsatisfying buying experience. And a person's going to show up one day and you're going to say, oh, I'm going to buy from that person. Right, right? right. And that's, I think, what Colvin was also writing about when he said that, you know, our ability to thrive in the increasingly digital future is based on becoming more human, not less. I couldn't agree more. I mean, nobody wants to be sold. People want to be helped. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't reach out to a salesperson because I want them to sell me. I'm looking for a solution. Like I said, an outcome that right. I, I need, because I know that's progress. That's going to move 
me forward, it's going to move my business forward. Right. That's what I'm looking for. And that's, yeah, in general, I think that's, that's what customers want. Yeah. And, and again, part of the research says, well, this is a generational thing. You know, the, the millennial buyers that are now in charge, they won't do it all on their own. No. As soon as there's an element of risk involved with it, mm-hmm. you're going to say, I need to talk to somebody. Yep. And they will. And I, again, they will, especially if you can help them. Right. And it's, there's some, you know, psychology, sociology behind this as well, which I think is also speaks against what Gartner was, or whoever the research firms are talking about this, is that, is this whole idea of strong ties, weak ties, yeah. is that when you work with a bunch of people, is you develop strong ties, but there's a report written by this one sociologist talked about, it, it says, information you know becomes redundant meaning you know a certain set of information and you keep reinforcing it internally that becomes the status quo you need the weak ties the people come from the outside who have a different perspective to help you see things differently and self-aware individuals and organizations understand that right right how do we get smarter we bring in people to help us why do we hire you know accenture and big consulting firms they have knowledge we don't have right they have that different perspective they're not right. the emotional attachments the history whatever they're able to come in and ask the questions the objective ask questions to challenge right, right. The status quo which is what you want yeah. and that's so as sellers that is our primary competitor is the status quo but how do we compete about that well we compete with that by helping the buyer through the process in a way that that is positive for them. Makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Andy, I really appreciate you coming on Sales Lead Dog. Well, Chris, the book, thank you. Yeah, the book is Sell Without Selling Out. Get it on Amazon. Um, blowing up. It's, I feel very lucky to have you here on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Andy. <laughs> it, it's, uh, uh, it's really, a, I, I'm so appreciative that you came on. Well, thanks for inviting me. No, it's it's uh, a great conversation. And yeah, hopefully people, if they want to check out the book, yeah, check it out on Amazon, wherever they, <laughs> they do. And uh, if they want to contact me, uh, LinkedIn is a great place to do that. I'm sort of all over there. And uh, they can also come to my website, andypaul.com. And, and we've got a fun little assessment there that people can take that's help them sort of see where they sit on the spectrum between selling out and selling in. I love that. And we'll have all this on the show notes in case you missed that. Be sure to check out the show notes and get that info. Be sure to connect with Andy and definitely be sure to get the book. Well, thank you. Well, thanks again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.